Hey food buffs, I'm your host, Lillian Yang. And I'm your host, Fakri Shafai, and you are listening to Food Nonfiction. Today's episode is huge. It's so huge that we broke it into two parts. You will hear about everything from how one eats in zero gravity to how someone could survive all by themselves on a barren planet. Two of our guests today have books out in stores right now. Here we go. Famed astronaut Chris Hadfield has two books out, An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth and You Are Here, Around the World in 92 Minutes. And author Andy Weir wrote the book The Martian, which I'm sure most of you have heard of. The film adaptation of the book is in theaters now, starring Matt Damon. Plus, we have TED fellow Dr. Louisa Preston. She's a brilliant astrobiologist. And we have a Mars One participant, the very smart and insightful Chris Patil. This episode has been months in the making. So let's get started. Hi, Chris. Hi. Can you introduce yourself for our listeners? I'm uh, Chris Hadfield. I'm an astronaut and a musician and an author, and I've flown in space three times, and most recently I was commander of the International Space Station. Can you tell us how breakfast, lunch, and dinner works in space? We sort of stuck with Earth culture on the spaceship, and we wake up, we we run on a cycle, on a 24-hour cycle, because that's just what we're used to. So the astronauts have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, similar to how we do it on Earth, running on a 24-hour cycle. If you think about it, they're called breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or, or something like that. Breakfast... If you, of course, it's break fast. You you have fasted or, or not eaten all night, and maybe ten hours from when you last ate, and you break your fast first thing in the morning, and that's driven by the fact that the Earth turns, and it's dark, and it's hard to prepare food in the dark for the last million years. So we sleep through the night when we can't cook, and then we break our fast in the morning when it's light again. So we eat. And, and then maybe six hours later, you're sort of hungry again, and, and so you eat lunch. And then in the evening time, once you've finished all the work for the day, it's nice to gather with family and friends and eat once more. But our habit of eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner on Earth isn't based on our bodies. That pattern of eating is, is not necessarily driven by our bodies. It's driven by the rotation of the Earth, the fact that we have night and day, and our cultures have changed to uh, to make that normal. It's different on a spaceship. The spaceship doesn't have night and day every 24 hours. The space station goes around the world every 92 minutes. So you'd have to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner every 92 minutes, which wouldn't make any sense. Sounds amazing. And, and if you're on your way to Mars, it's always light. The, the sun never gets blocked by anything. So you kind of have to reinvent it. And so we have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and it's not fancy, and, and you're busy, and the schedule's hectic. You grab breakfast together. Lunch, you just sort of get on your own because everybody's busy working and stuff all day long. And then at dinner time, at supper time, we try and gather together on the spaceship, a chance to, to float all around the same food supply and talk and laugh and tell stories and discuss what we did today and what we're going to do tomorrow and just, just be people like anywhere. We'll hear more from Chris Hadfield in part two. But first... What if you've landed on Mars, you're all alone, and even worse, there isn't enough food for even just you? That's what happens to the protagonist in Andy Weir's book, The Martian, which inspired this episode. 
Hi, I'm Andy Weir, and I wrote The Martian. How are you? Good. The Martian is a sci-fi story that mostly takes place on Mars. The main character, Mark Watney, has been left on Mars, and he needs to find a way to survive until he can be rescued. There isn't enough food, and there isn't enough water. But luckily, Mark has many useful skills. Everyone on the mission had two specialties. I'm the botanist and mechanical engineer. Basically, the mission's fix-it man who played with plants. So he finds a way to grow food on Mars, using his own excrement, a tiny bit of earth soil, Martian dirt, potatoes, 126 square meters of farming space, and homemade water. The recipe for water, take hydrogen, add oxygen, burn. The book was riveting. Every single detail of how Mark Watney managed his survival on Mars was described. So I thought to myself, who is this brilliant author who wrote this book? Who is Andy Weir? Am I coming through all right? Yeah, it's perfect. Can you tell us a bit about your background and why you got started on this novel? Um, I'm a big fan of space and the space program, and they've just I'm, I'm, I'm a space dork. And I was, uh, I, I'm one of those guys, I'll watch pretty much any documentary that has to do with space travel, um, especially manned space flight. The book The Martian started from a thought experiment. I was sitting around thinking about, okay, how could we do a manned Mars mission with modern technology? And I thought, all right, well, um, you could, here's how we could get people to Mars. Here's how we could make sure they stay alive. Here's how we get them back and all that. And then I thought, okay, well, any mission plan needs to deal with failure scenarios. What happens if this thing What breaks? happens if that thing What breaks? happens if these two things break at the How same time? How do we make time? sure the crew doesn't die? Th those scenarios, I began to realize, like, I'm like, huh, that, that might make a good story. And so I created an unfortunate protagonist and subjected him to all of them. How long did it take you to research for The Martian? Well, I, I did the research while I was writing it. Right? I didn't do all the research first and then do all the writing. But uh, I, it took me three years to write The Martian, and I would say I spent about half my time doing research. So I guess the, the quote-unquote answer would be a year and a half. Can you describe how Mark Watney sets up his potato crop? Yeah, so he uses Martian soil as a, as a growing medium, and then he had some earth soil with him. Uh, for for an experiment that he was supposed to that he was originally intended to run, it was just like a planter box full of soil. He brought Martian soil into his habitat and spread it out on the ground, and then infected it with earth soil just to get the uh, bacteria from from real earth soil into the Martian soil. He had some potatoes that were um, actually not chopped up, not frozen, not anything, and he uh, chops up the potatoes and, and preps them for planting, and then plants them separately. Why did you pick potatoes as the food he would grow? Um, he has a limited area to grow things in because Mar you can't, like, there's no, no plant life uh, on Earth can possibly survive out in Mars's native environment. So he can only grow things within his hab, which is his little kind of like base station there. He has very limited uh, surface area, very limited, air, you know, space. And potatoes have a higher kind of calorie per area yield than any other crop. And so his main problem is generating enough calories to survive. So what were some other plants you considered having him grow? I would have liked it better if he could have done it all with peas. Um, 
because peas are pea seeds, right? And so just any meal that had uncooked peas in it might have had a few peas in there that are that that could still germinate. So in the book, Andy Weir had to explain why the main character had fresh potatoes on hand to grow in space. Peas would have been easier to explain. And that would have made much more sense in terms of like, oh, you know, I could do this. Or maybe like, you know, if he had some bread with some wheat kernels in it or something like that, that that might still be able to be planted. But there was no way that the main character could have grown enough peas to provide the amount of calories he would have needed to survive. Just doing the math on those. None of those crops. He, he he would just have no hope of generating enough calories with those with those crops. It had to be potatoes. Um, so, did you also consider having the character create his own protein supply? Um, well, he didn't really have an option for that unless he was going to have like. I mean, it, it's one thing to say, okay, he has a potato. It's another thing to say, like, okay, he has a big tank of water and some spirulina. By the way, spirulina is a phylum of bacteria, also known as blue-green algae. I was thinking maybe insects. Oh, hmm. Well, then how would he... I mean, then I would have needed to explain why they have insects. Yeah, it would definitely have to be, oh, they brought these creatures with them to see if they would survive on Mars. Right, and also it would be even more complicated because I'd have to say, like, why do they have insects that... I mean they would need to be breeding insects the whole way from Earth, right? Because it's, I mean, it yeah, took them 100 and, okay. yeah, <laughs> 124 <laughs> days. Yeah. Um, so the way I explained away the protein was I said, like, there was actually plenty of protein in his ration packs. We interviewed Andy Weir back in June, so the movie wasn't out at that time. But it's out now, so you should really go see it. Where are you guys at for the production of the movie? Is it still going? Is it done? I have no idea. Um, uh, the filming is done. It's in post-production now. And so, you know, they're adding the special effects and doing the final editing and uh, stuff like that. The film comes out October 2nd. Um, yeah. And so that's... So soon. Yep. Uh, well, yeah. Not soon enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So were you really involved in the process of making the film? Mostly my job was to cash the check, oh, okay. <laughs> but, um, but um, they did, they, they didn't have to involve me at all. They, you know, once they have the rights, they can do whatever they want, but they chose to involve me. And I thought that was really cool. So they, they sent me revisions of the screenplay to get my feedback and they made some changes based on what I said and so on. And whenever they have a science question, they, they uh, usually, uh, they send it to me. So that, that's pretty cool. So I, they, they just, chose to involve me and that was that was neat i i just looked at the casting list and i am so pleased <laughs> yeah it's a pretty it's a really impressive cast like they're actually all good actors and actresses oh yeah yeah no it's it's great i'm i, I was like stoked yeah i was worried i was worried yeah. what they do <laughs> <laughs> um and uh you know and it's directed by ridley scott <laughs> so cool yeah thank you so much this was a lot of fun sure thanks for having me In part two of this episode, we take this story from realistic sci-fi to current research about growing food on Mars. Listen to part two of the space episode to find out how realistic the Mark Watney potato growing techniques were, according to a leading expert on the topic of astrobiology. 
Also in part two is the rest of Chris Hadfield's interview where he tells us what it's really like to eat in space. Thanks to the Long Winters for letting us play their song, The Commander Thinks Aloud. And thanks to Chris Hadfield for letting us play songs off of his album, the very first album recorded in space. It's called Space Sessions. Talk to you next week.